Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on October 31st, 2021, during our Sunday evening service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our Awana program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Go with me to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. Count Dracula. Frankenstein's monster. The mummy. The creature from the Black Lagoon. And of course, one of my favorites, the Wolfman. Eighty years ago, gothic horror haunted the silver screen and while those tales, those black and white stories might seem oh so timid today and have more nostalgia than horror to them. I remember seeing those movies when I was a kid. I've loved those movies since I was a kid, even though they terrified me when I was a kid. The first time I saw Dracula, I had nightmares and could not sleep. And that was only after the first 15 minutes. I couldn't even watch anymore. I was, I was young. I don't know I don't know how I got away with, with watching that. I'm sure that my parents thought it would be so tame that uh, I wouldn't be scared by that. But those stories, while they have a nostalgia, while they certainly have a, um, a gothic horror element to them, they're really retellings of ancient stories and ancient things that people believed. For thousands of years, people have believed in these mythologies. And what I want to show you tonight as we consider a real transformation that we're going to look at in the book of Daniel. I want, to, I want you to consider that while certainly these movies that we see are fantasized and certainly the mythologies that we read about are uh, fictionalized, that there is behind many of those stories actual real angelic power, actual real satanic power. And I want to show you just one illustration of many in the Scriptures from Exodus chapter 7. It was so good to have my parents here this morning and was blessed by my dad's uh, message. I'm not sure if I'm going to have him back because of the jokes he told about me, but uh, maybe at some point... In the future, Lord willing, uh, we'll be able to have uh, him back to speak again. But uh, one of the passages that he referenced was the Passover. And uh, by the way, if you didn't get a chance to hear that message, you can still catch it online, Facebook, YouTube. Um, You can catch it on our podcast. Also, we continue to have a CD ministry, and I'd encourage you uh, to make use of one of those uh, ministries that we provide uh, to get caught up when you're not able to be here for whatever reason But the Passover was the final 
of the plagues of Egypt. But before the plagues of Egypt, I want you to go with me to the throne room of Pharaoh here as Moses and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh. And in 7, 7, Exodus 7, verse 7, Moses was fourscore years old. Aaron was fourscore and three years old. And when they spoke unto Pharaoh and the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Pharaoh, saying, when Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh and it shall become a serpent. Now, if you've seen those rods that they use, those shepherd's rods, those were not small rods. This was not a little gardener snake that was going to appear. This was a pretty massive, scary creature. And verse 10, Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Now, that part we don't have a hard time with. But I would ask you what I asked you last week as we consider the words of Jesus in Luke 24. Do I believe all of what the Scriptures say? Or do I just believe the parts that are easy for me to embrace? Because notice what happens next. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers of Egypt and the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents now it didn't say it doesn't say that they used sleight of hand it doesn't say that they had magic tricks that they were using like the magicians of today although i've seen some of the things the magicians of today do and i wonder if some of those things aren't actual demonic manifestations as well because of some of the unbelievable things that some of them are able to do. And I'm talking about some of the ones who have occult symbols tattooed on their body. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the people you go see at, you know, at the county fair. I'm not talking about those magicians. I'm talking about some of these international celebrities who do very wicked things. The Bible clearly says that they cast down their rods. And by their power, by their sorceries, their rods actually turned into serpents. It wasn't just a make-believe. It wasn't just a pretend. It wasn't just a trick. But here's the awesome part. Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Satan has very real power. And some of us have encountered manifestations of that power at different points in our life. But here's the hope that we have is that All of Satan and his forces put together cannot match the power of God. And so the power of God is superior to he is the most high God, as Pastor Nick showed us on Wednesday night. He is the El Shaddai. He is the one who is in control. And so as we go to Daniel chapter four and we consider one of the Halloween passages in the scriptures, I didn't plan this ahead of time. Uh, to land on Daniel chapter 4 on Halloween. By the way, happy Reformation Day, right? We don't celebrate Halloween. We do celebrate uh, how God used men and women throughout history to stand for truth, even in the face of persecution. And one of those men, uh, long before Martin Luther, was King Daniel, or not King Daniel, excuse me, uh, was Daniel himself as he stood before King Nebuchadnezzar. But we're going to see tonight that even King Nebuchadnezzar was amazed and his heart was changed by an encounter with the living God. Now, as we come to 
Daniel chapter 4. So far in this book, twice already, Nebuchadnezzar has encountered the awesome power of the Lord. He encountered the Most High God when he received that dream back at the beginning of his reign, the beginning of his rulership, he received the dream of kingdoms and that dream escaped him but God used the prophet Daniel not only to reveal the dream to him but to reveal the interpretation of that dream but even more recently in history we don't know exactly the timeline but somewhere between that in chapter 4 and chapter 3 he also saw the holy power of God protect Shadrach Meshach and Abednego from his fiery wrath as he threw them into the fiery furnace and yet not even the stench of the flames could stick because there was a fourth man in the fire there with him. And so Nebuchadnezzar brought those three Jewish believers out of that fiery furnace and he praised God, but God had not yet broken him. He was amazed by God. He was impressed by the God of Israel, but he was not yet submissive to the God of Israel. And that is a warning I would repeat, as my dad shared with us today, this morning, I would repeat that warning, that just because we are in church and just because we believe God does not mean that we have yet humbled ourselves before him. And be very wary that you do not harden your heart to the God of scriptures as you hear the great things that he's done and you even believe in the things that he's done, but you have not yet personally humbled yourself before him to admit that you are a sinner in need of him and you trust in the only provision that God has ever provided for mankind since the sending of his son, which is his son himself, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And he is the only way, the only truth and the only life. And no man cometh unto the father yet except by him. Now, as we come into Daniel chapter 4, tonight we're going to see this final encounter that is recorded in the book of Nebuchadnezzar meeting God, and I've entitled the message tonight, The Beast of Babylon, and it begins in an unexpected way. Daniel chapter 4 begins with an unexpected voice. Look at the first three verses with me. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now, this book of Daniel is all of a sudden interrupted by this official decree of the king. And he's speaking. The king is speaking now by official decree. This is an official state document that has been included into your Bibles, decreed by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, of course, kings don't generally write their own press releases. They don't write their own documents. They uh, have someone that does them does that for them in in most cases, or at least proofreads them and puts their stamp of approval on them. And so this document, while it was published in every nation within the kingdom of Babylon and beyond, even though it was spoken by Nebuchadnezzar, very likely because of the role that Daniel served in the kingdom, very likely Daniel was the one who was actually recording the official document and sending it out under the authority with the, uh, the seal of the king upon it on behalf of the king, 
And that is why we see Daniel, uh, I believe, that's why we see Daniel including it here, of course, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But this unexpected voice begins with praise for the Most High God. A complete shift in thinking. Here is the king that received this incredible prophetic vision of kingdoms, the head of gold that Daniel says, that represents you, Nebuchadnezzar, but your kingdom will be replaced by a kingdom of silver and a kingdom of bronze and a kingdom of iron, which will become a kingdom of iron mixed with clay. And Nebuchadnezzar reacted to that revelation by building an image of all gold, saying, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to endure. My kingdom is not going to be replaced. My kingdom will endure. And now he has been humbled and he's saying, no, 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 no. God's kingdom is the one that's going to endure. This sudden shift in his tone is no less shocking than the fact that he is the one who is actually speaking here again by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. At long last, Nebuchadnezzar has not only accepted the reality of God's eternal kingdom, but he has, as we will see at the end here, he has submitted to the reality of it. And what caused all of it? Well, again, it begins, number two, with an unsettling dream. An unsettling dream. Once again, the powerful king is brought to his knees, quite literally this time, by a dream, beginning with the dream. Look at verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house, flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid. The thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known. And he brings the wise men in, but of course, they are not able to interpret. Only Daniel... Because only Daniel has the spirit of the living God on him and in him. Only Daniel is able to interpret this dream. Now, based on the clues that are in this passage, I'm not going to take the time to walk through all these tonight. But based on the clues that are given to us in this passage, John Whitcomb in his commentary on Daniel dates the dream, this second dream of Nebuchadnezzar, somewhere between 569 and 570 B.C., which uh, would be the beginning of the final decade of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And what is significant about that is this is some 50 years into his reign, meaning it's 50 years essentially after he had that first dream. So this is 50 years later. God gave him a dream when he, had, when he was a young man and he entered into ascendancy. And now that he has established his kingdom, he's put down all of the revolts. He has established peace in his kingdom now, 50 years later, God has given him another dream. And so he doesn't react as impulsively as he did when he was young, but he is no less troubled by this dream. And why was it so disturbing? Well, it, it concerned not an image this time, but a tree. The dream concerned the felling and the restoration of a great tree. Notice the visions of mine, verse 10 of where in my bed I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong and the height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, the fruit thereof much and it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof and all flesh was fed of it. <coughs> Excuse me. I saw in the vision of my head upon my bed, behold, a watcher. A holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Thus hew down the tree, cut off the branches, shake off its leaves, scatter his fruit. 
let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from under its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump on his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. You think the scriptures are not relevant today? Read that verse again. Sometimes God elevates the basest of men to positions of great authority, not because of their greatness, but because of what God is going to do through them or to them, as we see here with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I'm not going to take time to get into this tonight. Lord willing, we'll come back to this in maybe the near future, at some point in the future. But what's very interesting about this dream, and this is just a little teaser if you want to do a little study on, your, on the side on your own, Ezekiel 31 is written almost maybe the exact same year, almost the exact same time. And in that prophecy, there is a prophecy of another tree where Pharaoh is compared to a tree and uh, someone else that we'll talk about is also compared to a tree and the fall of Pharaoh is compared to the fall of this other great tree who is not Nebuchadnezzar, but God is using in these visions the image of a tree being cut down as symbolic of three different great and mighty kings of their day. Nebuchadnezzar of in his day being the greatest of them. Now, notice this unsettling dream leads to an upsetting interpretation and who was the most upset? Interestingly enough, it was not Nebuchadnezzar, but it was the prophet himself. Look at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, he calls him in and he says, look, I know you have the spirit of the gods on you. Nebuchadnezzar at this point has not acknowledged that there's only one true God. He knows that there are many gods. And by the way, there are many gods. We call them demons. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that when the pagans are worshiping their gods, they are worshiping demonic spirits. Of course, the mythologies are fictionalized. Of course, the characters of Zeus and Athena and Bel and Molech and Baal and Asherah, of course, their stories have been fictionalized. But behind those entities are very real demonic powers. And he has not yet acknowledged the gods of the pagans are demons, but he does understand that there is a spirit, a power that is working through Daniel. And so Daniel is given the request to interpret this dream. But verse 19, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished. He was disturbed. He was, he was wrecked. He was upset for one hour. His thoughts troubled him. He did not want to share he did not want to believe what God was sharing with him. He did believe it. I'm not su suggesting he doubted, but what I am saying is it upset him when he saw what God was going to do. And so the king has to tell him, uh, don't be troubled, 
Belteshazzar. Answer, my Lord, the dream be to them. Belteshazzar says, my Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree which thou sawest and grew was strong was you, was you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You will be cut down. God has blessed you. You have brought peace and prosperity to the entire kingdom and the entire known world. And you have been blessed by God because of that. But your heart is proud and God is going to humble that hard heart. And he's going to cut you down to size. And in fact, verse 23, whereas the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, saying, hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field. Let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Now, why is Daniel so upset by this dream? Well, maybe because it was coming in a time of peace and prosperity. Maybe because despite the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked king, nevertheless, his policies were bringing blessing to the people of the kingdom prosperity not poverty to the people of the kingdom and Daniel did not want to see that disturbed that's possible we know he wasn't scared of the king's wrath as some commentators foolishly suggest somehow he's worried to tell the king because of what might happen to him where do you see that spirit of fear in Daniel anywhere in this passage he's not afraid of what is going to to happen to him but he's astonished of what God is going to allow the watchers to do to Nebuchadnezzar how could God allow the watchers to do this this transformation that is going to happen this tree represents Nebuchadnezzar and God is going to strip him of his humanity for seven times we don't know what the times represent most commentators believe seven years based on some other ways that the number seven is used throughout the passage i am hesitant to say that the king was transformed into a beast for seven years although it is very interesting that there is another individual in the bible who is most commonly referred to more than any other name he is called the beast who will also be empowered for seven years. So this is a shadow of the Antichrist, the shadow of the beast that is to come. But I'm not certain that God is telling us seven years here, but it's seven times of something. So whether it be seven days or seven months or seven years as a possibility, we can't say for certain. But what we do know is, is it was long enough to, to prove that this was a supernatural, a divine act of judgment decreed by God, but inflicted and carried out by the watchers, the angels, the holy ones. The judgment was demanded by God 
but it was decided upon by the angels. And it was carried out by the angels. Now again, God's the one who gave permission. God unleashed them to do this. But God often, in our realm, works through delegation. He calls us to do for Him. He doesn't do everything for us. He works in us, Philippians 2 says, to will and to accomplish. But He commands us to do for Him. Here we see the angels also with delegated authority. Now, why do we know that the angels are involved here? Because notice what happens. There is an unrepentant king. Oh, he may have repented in the moment, but a year has passed, and he's forgotten the dream, and he's forgotten the warning. Daniel pleads with him. Look at the, look at the way that Daniel pleads with him, verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. Break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. If it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Daniel says God may have mercy and he may change his mind just as he would do with the city of Nineveh as Jonah went and, pre and preached judgment and God, because of their repentance, he relented, he delayed. He didn't dismiss the judgment on Nineveh, but he delayed it. So Daniel is saying, God, uh, uh, please, king, God may be merciful to you if you are repentant. God may, again, Daniel has no fear of what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do to him. Otherwise, he would not get in the king's face and say, you need to stop sinning. You need to repent. But he's pleading with the king. Well, the king doesn't repent. And so a year later, he is swollen up with pride. Verse 3, the king spake, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And notice verse 31, the unnatural judgment that comes. While the word was in the king's mouth. He had not dotted the sentence as he was speaking it and there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, the watcher now is speaking. To thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen and seven times shall pass over thee until... Thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And so the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. And notice this, and do you believe what the Bible says? His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. Read that again. This is not just poetry. This is judgment. This is not just the mental health disorder that inflicts people in our day where they think they're an animal. This was not just a mental disorder. This was a physical transformation that really did take place. His hair grew as eagle's wings. Eagle, the eagle being uh, tied to the symbolism of Babylon. His nails as an eagle's talons. The angels had the power and were given permission by God to alter his genetic code for seven times, whatever that means. Seven days, seven 
weeks, seven months, seven years, we don't know. But this is happening today in laboratories, guys. Recombinant DNA is being used to rewrite genetic codes, creating what they, the scientists themselves, call human-animal hybrids or chimera. This is happening today. This is humanly possible to do, and this was angelically executed in King Nebuchadnezzar. He is not just growing long hair. He is growing feathers. He is not just growing long nails. He is growing talons. That is the, the word of God. That is the power that the angels possess. And that is very cautionary for anyone who is not saved and who's going to enter into the tribulation because you do understand that the gates of hell are going to be opened up literally in Revelation chapter 9. And these demonic beings who have this power are going to be leashed, unleashed on mankind. And we're told in Revelation that people are actually going to want to die and not be able to because of what is happening in them and to them by these demonic forces. Now, this was not just punitive. This judgment was corrective. And it leads... Why would God allow that? I mean, it disturbed Daniel to think that God is going to do this. God, why would, you, why would you allow the king to be changed into part man, part animal? Why would you allow that? It wasn't just punitive. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was also corrective. Because at the end of the days, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praise and honor him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And at the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth. And his, way, his ways judgment and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Now, let me ask you three questions as we close tonight. Three things that we, I don't believe God's going to turn any of us into an animal. Okay? I don't believe that we're, we're going to have werewolves running around the church tonight. But is pride an idol in my life? Is it causing me to live like an animal? The late Francis Schaeffer uh, once wrote that in our man's attempts to elevate ourselves above the angels, we have, on the contrary, debased ourselves and we live like the animals according to the lusts and passions of our flesh. Is my pride causing me to live like a beast, an animal? Can't control my urges, can't control my desires, my emotions because I'm worshiping myself? Number two, when I hear God's warnings, do I respond with true repentance? And number three, am I giving King Jesus sincere and public praise from a humbled heart? I heard a pastor say one time, he was talking with his 
mentor about being broken by God, he said, well, how do you know if you've been broken by God yet? And his mentor laughed and said, you won't need to ask. You won't need to ask. When God has broken your spirit and pride, you won't need to ask. And the reality is, even as Christians, many times, we all were saved by grace through faith, but we still hold on to that self-righteousness. We still hold on to that pride. We still want to do it on our own strength, by our own power. God will allow things into our life to break us. We can submit and be broken and put back together, or we can fight it and make it worse. But when you hear God's warning, please, please respond with true repentance. Father, we thank you for the uh, grace and mercy that you bestowed even in your judgment on Nebuchadnezzar, God. And as we um, go from this place tonight, God, may we be in awe of your power and God, more so be in awe of your grace that, God, you would, you would bless a man who was so wicked simply because, God, he did repent and he did turn from his sin and he did acknowledge that you are the Most High God. Father, may we all do that in our hearts tonight. Acknowledge Jesus Christ, your Son, as the Lord and Savior and live like it every day. We love and thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to say one more quick prayer for the uh, blessing on the food that we're going to have. We invite all of you to stay. We ended a little bit earlier tonight so that we could have a time of fellowship over in the fellowship hall with the kids. So we're going to head over there in just a second, but let's have a word of prayer to bless the fellowship and the food. God, thank you for uh, this church. Thank you, God, for the uh, uh, men and women who serve here, God, the men, men and women who love you. We thank you for all of the kids that are here tonight and the youth and uh, all the workers tonight, God. And we just pray that you bless this fellowship and uh, God bless the food that we're about to have. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. See you over there. Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and you would like to know how, please give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.